Welcome to the first real episode of the Seeing God podcast. This is part one of a two-part interview with Deb Newsom. Deb has been a missionary in the Gambia, West Africa, for 30 years. In this first part, we're going to hear about some of the key milestones on her path to becoming a missionary and what she's been seeing God do in both her and the other people in the Gambia. She talks specifically about discerning God's will for her, daily disciplines to know God better, depression, spiritual warfare, and the slow growth of the Gambian church. In the next episode, we'll hear about what has been happening with her more recently, specifically kidney cancer, being back in the States as a result, her bucket list, and some of her favorite moments with God. So you won't want to miss that one, but for now, we're going to hear about her journey to becoming a missionary and those first years. This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Geppert. Let's get started. Debbie, could you just start off telling us, how were you introduced to God? Mainly through my parents. My parents were both believers in Jesus Christ, and they took God's Word, the Bible, very seriously. We had six children in our family, and uh, they began teaching us the Word when we were born and began telling us about how much Jesus loved us and and so we learned not only from them, but also in a church environment. And then eventually all that knowledge that, that was pumped into me at home, at church and Sunday school, I began to see that I was a sinner and I, I needed Christ. And I began trusting him. That was at around five years old. Through the years, I also had some other significant milestones, I would say. When I was about in sixth grade, I started seriously thinking, you know what, I need to be reading my Bible every day so God can be speaking to me instead of just through other people, but that he would be speaking to me. And then in high school, I asked the Lord not to just allow me to be an average Christian, I wanted to follow him more closely than most of the Christians that I knew. And so I dedicated myself to be doing that and to knowing him more and to really be used by him. So when you left high school, you went off to college, and what did you study? First, I studied um, some general things because I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be a teacher so that I could, if I ever married, then I would be able to be home with my children during the evening hours and take summers off with them. That's what my parents did. They were teachers. But I didn't like the idea of being a regular classroom teacher. So I kept looking into other things, and I decided to be a speech teacher therapist or a speech pathologist, speech and language pathologist. 
So did you work, eventually so, get a job doing that? I did. I did. I um, graduated from Eastern Michigan University with a master's degree in speech and language pathology, and then I became a speech therapist. I went to some public schools in southwestern Illinois. And so how did you get from doing that to living and working in West Africa as a missionary? Well, as I was in Illinois, again, I began asking God to use me like he never had before for his glory. And then shortly after that, I could see that in the ministries that I was involved in, in a church there, that there were quite a few teenagers that were coming to know the Lord. And then the Lord also began to speak to me about going into missions. And to make a long story short, he convinced me through his word and through the advice and counsel of other people that he wanted me on a foreign mission field. And so I took some seminary classes to get some more Bible knowledge and be better prepared. And I ended up applying to the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And I thought that I would probably be going to somewhere where I could learn Spanish or French or some language that was closer to English because I didn't think I was very good in languages. And so... <laughs> That's funny knowing you, Deb, you know. <laughs> uh -huh. So I, I um, was looking at possibly Peru. I wanted to go to a place where there would be other missionaries that could advise me and tell me what to do <laughs> because I knew that I was inexperienced and and I thought I really needed some guidance. <laughs> so how did you end up in the Gambia then? That's a far cry from Peru or a French-speaking country. <laughs> well, when I was in um, what they used to call candidate class where all of the missionaries, the missionary wannabes were going to apply to ABWE. They would show us all the different fields. So every time they showed us another country, I would think to myself, I can, I could work there. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I could see myself working with those people. And then I heard about the Gambia and the great needs there that the people were uh, Muslims and that they also were continued to practice a lot of African traditional religion, and that they also were very poor in many ways, and they really needed to hear the gospel. And there was one full-time missionary with ABWE on the field at that time, and that was part of it, too. My heart just went out to this woman being by herself there on the field, and there were many fields that I could go to, but that was the only one that I knew of that was like that. And so I I wanted to be an encouragement to her and also to tell people about Christ that had never heard before, rather than going to a place where there were already churches established and just... I shouldn't say just going to teach Sunday school or something like that in an already established church. I'm not saying those types of ministries aren't important, but I felt like it was 
more important to go somewhere where people hadn't heard, at least for the ministry the Lord was leading me to. Mm -hmm. So I looked into the Gambia, and um, I kept searching for a few weeks, talked to some other missionaries, tried to recruit them for the Gambia also. <laughs> and then when I was watching a presentation for another field, actually, one of the verses that they brought up, kind of God gave me peace about it through that verse, and it was uh, John 10.10. 10. It said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that verse, I immediately thought of the Gambia, and I said, that's where God wants me to go. And I realized God does not lead everyone through verses like that in the Bible for their big decisions, but this would be the third time he had led me that way. When I went to Illinois and I got a job, the Lord spoke to me through a verse that that was the place where he wanted me. And when I was going to go to the mission field, he also spoke to me that way. And then when I was choosing a field, he again did the same thing. And he's not done the same thing with me in any other any any other times. And so I've just stayed with the same thing because he hasn't told me to go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you give us just a brief picture of what the circumstances of living in the Gambia were like? I found one full-term missionary who had been there two years. And I also found some short-term missionaries that had no intention of staying in the Gambia. They were just there to help with building houses and that kind of support. Where were you? Were you in a city or were you in the rural I lived area? in a village of about 1,500 people. Today that same village has about 3,000 people. At first glance, it looked like the people were very poor and some of them were. They did not have electricity or running water. They had an elementary school, but nothing beyond sixth grade. There was one phone in the whole village. There was no television. There was radio, but 30 years ago there was no internet. How did you and get so, How did you get communications from back home? Uh, people wrote letters. They actually put stamps on them, took them <laughs> to the post office. <laughs> <laughs> And they were delivered to your door there in the village? No, they were delivered to the a post office box that we had in the capital city. Uh -huh. And so we would go in sometimes every couple weeks, depending on the need, but once a month certainly to do grocery shopping. And when we went in at that time, we would go to the post office, get our mail, and bring it home with us. And then... If I was going to stay for the weekend, I would call my mom and dad on the phone. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if you could um, describe for us in uh, a word or two what your first four years, your first term there in the Gambia was like, what, how would you describe that? It was very lonely. But that's not the only thing that it was. It was, it was also an adventure. It was fun. When I first arrived on the field and I got off of the plane, I thought, I just looked around, felt that hot, oppressive air, <laughs> <laughs> and said, I'm home. 
within a week or two, we went out to the village. And when I was there, I, I just kept looking around and going, I, I can't believe I live in Africa. This is so cool. But as things went on, some of the excitement went off, uh, went by the wayside. I still enjoyed learning the language and the culture. I love figuring out puzzles. And so I enjoyed that. It was like a puzzle to me to figure out how people think in another culture. And and I also tried to be an encouragement to the missionaries there, but I found it difficult to trust anyone new. I felt like I couldn't really tell them my heart when I was hurting or or to share with them even some things that might be exciting to me. And so I don't think I really had a a very good friend that first time, first first term. And so I held back a lot of things and it, it caused me to be very lonely and eventually I I had a lot of depression during that term also at the end of it. How did God meet you in that as you were became ready to go back after your first furlough? Well, one thing when I during the time of depression I, I didn't sleep very well. Turned out I had lice and maybe that's enough to depress anyone, I don't know, but <laughs> but um, that was part of it that was keeping me awake at night, and I didn't realize it. So as I was only getting some nights one or two hours of sleep, I kept getting more and more depressed, and I would spend time in the Word with the Lord still, but I remember lying on my bed trying to pray, and I felt like this isn't going anywhere. And But I didn't know anything else to do. I just knew... People that believe in God are supposed to read their Bible and pray. Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just kept doing it. Then when I went on furlough, I was so tired. Uh, once I got rid of the lice, <laughs> I um, slept. I mm. slept for a whole month, pretty much. I got up in the morning and ate breakfast and went back to bed. And got up, ate Lunch, went back to bed. Got up, ate supper, went back to bed. I did that for pretty much a month except for going to church. And then I started feeling refreshed. Mm-hmm. And uh reminds me of sort of a Elijah and his, his uh, depression when he ran, ran away and the Lord knew he needed rest. But at any rate, after that, I began to get into the word more again. And I, I realized, you know, God really was with me during that time, even though I didn't feel like he was. He really was faithful and he would always be faithful. That That is who he is. He's a faithful God and he's a good God. So that taught me some things. And then I realized too that I had some relationships that needed mending in the Gambia and through some counsel of my sister-in-law, and then I wrote some letters to repair those relationships and followed up with that when I went back to the Gambia to make sure things were okay. But, you know, if the Lord tells you to do something and you just sit there and don't do it, things are not, not going to be right until you obey Him. And so 
I knew that my ministry would not go very far if I if I didn't make sure that those things were right. So you went back ready to to start again? Yes. Debbie, one of the things that you did when you came back for your second term is you felt led to live with a Gambian family in a Gambian compound, a large Gambian compound, and put yourself Mm -hmm. under the authority of the head of that compound uh, and live as a Gambian. Yes. Why did you do that? Well, mainly I was thinking I always... First of all, I always thought before I became a missionary that I would be living among the people wherever that was. If it was England, I would live among the English. If it was France, I would live among the French. If it if it was Bangladesh, I would live among the Bengali. And so I continued to think that way and then when I got to the Gambia I saw the missionary compound, and I'm not being critical of that missionary compound. I know it has its uses, but it wasn't at all what I thought that God was calling me to do. And I wanted to be with them so that I could be with them more hours in the day and that people would come into my home more often, and I would have more opportunities to share the gospel with people and spend more time with them, learn the language better than I had in the first term just by being with people and speaking to with them into hours into the evening or they come to my house at 7 in the morning to greet me. And so I was talking to them before I was talking to any English speakers. I would be talking to Gambians in the morning and going around to each of their houses say good morning and God God bless you and take care of you today before I ever went to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so it did help me to become more fluent and it it gave me many, many opportunities to share Christ with people. Having known you for a long time, Deb, uh, I remember you back then saying that you were you really wanted to do that so that you have Christ living in you, and you wanted to make that visible, close up and personal, just like it was, warts and all, that people would be able to see Christ manifest. Yes, yes. I thought that that was important, and I think there's a biblical basis for that when the Apostle Paul says that we should be all things to all men, that we might win some, and we should be a Gentile to the Gentiles and a Jew to the Jews. And I took that to mean that we should be a wolf to the wolf mm-hmm. people. That's the tribe that you've been working yes, with. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward just a little bit. What were your most recent years in the Gambia like? The most recent years, I would say, also continue to be an adventure, just like they have been all along. There's been something different about every term. That's a term is like, four years in the Gambia that I would spend there and then one year in the state. So every term had something different that I would learn and something different that I would be emphasizing in in the ministry there. And I began working more on translation, but also in trying to reach people not only in our own village, but in the other villages. But I also saw 
along the way that this process was of trying to establish churches in the Gambia and win a core group of people to the Lord who would then reach others was a process that was taking a lot longer than I thought it might. Mm. I always thought it might take 15 or 20 years, but here we were, 20 years passed and nothing Mm. still. And so it was a bit discouraging at times. And sometimes I go back to the verse in Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And um, I would go back and say, okay, yeah, I'm sick of not having any progress or much to speak of. But there are some good things that have happened. Mm -hmm. There have been some that have come to Christ, some that are growing in the Lord. And God has even sent Gambian missionaries to work in the area where we live, not in the same village, but in the area where we are. And so there are some people there that are Gambians that are also trying to do the same thing we are, and that's a a great encouragement. One of the ladies, we can call her M. You're going to call actually, her M because if because you said we, her name, she might experience some. Yeah, she might. She might experience some difficulties. Although most people know that she's a believer, still mm-hmm. they wouldn't probably appreciate her story being told. So M actually decided to become a believer in Christ before she met the missionaries because she had already met some believers in Banjul. And I don't know if she knew the facts about Jesus dying for her sin or anything like that, but she knew that Jesus was this person that she wanted to believe in. And then when she became acquainted with missionaries in our village, she decided okay, I'm going to learn about this and find out what this Jesus really did for me. And she became a believer, and she still would tell you that her decision to become a Christian was back before she knew very much about what a Christian was. Mm -hmm. When she met this other Christian in the capital city that demonstrated compassion toward her Mm -hmm. and befriended her. So God was already working in her before we knew her. Then he brought her to us, and one of the missionaries studied the Bible with her, and she got the story. She understood about the promise that Jesus would one day come and pay the price for our sins, and she knew that that meant her sins also. And she's had a rough go of it, a lot of persecution from her family, people in the village, mostly ostracizing her or condemning her, occasionally hitting her, but not very often, doing some other things that, you know, criticizing her for going the two-bobs way, that's the white person's way or the European's way, since most people think Christianity came from the West when we know it didn't, it came from the Middle East came from God, but, you know, from mm-hmm. the Middle East. And um, then she has continued to grow, and she's now sharing her faith with other people. And it's been a long road for her to get the courage to do this. But 
God has given her the courage when the time is right to share with someone. She gathers that courage together and does it. Is she by nature a courageous person? No, she's by nature very fearful, and she still is frightened sometimes, but she speaks up to people about Christ even with her voice quivering, and <laughs> and she she still will say, this is, this is what I believe, I'm not turning back. So I've seen that kind of thing happen with her and sometimes with, with a few others um, that makes me think, yes, God is doing something. Might seem really slow to us, but God knows what he's doing. I believe he's not finished with the work there yet. Those things were better, I think. Yes, they were. We we saw things develop, but we continued to experience a lot of attrition with the missionaries. Not to whine or anything, but it it's a difficult place to be. I never thought of it that way in my early years. I knew it was hard for me, but I thought all mission fields were like the Gambia, and in some ways, I'm sure they are. But I did not think that we were particularly persecuted by the enemy. But as time went on, I could see that all of the people who went through candidate class with me were planting churches and ours was not going forward. So it was very difficult. So Debbie, you mentioned spiritual warfare. I believe you had an episode that was pretty dramatic. Yes, one time, in fact, um, I was in my bedroom at night and I had gone to sleep and I was on my bed and then I just sensed that there was someone else in the room. The room was suddenly light after I had blown the candle out and then, but I was trying to get up and see what was going on because in inside of the um, mosquito net, I couldn't really see very much of what was happening outside, but I couldn't move. And so I was just stuck there and on the bed, not able to get up, feeling kind of like I was being held down. And then I just began to pray and quote any kind of scripture that I could think of to tell you the truth. It wasn't anything like going to Ephesians 6 with the armor of God or anything like that. It was just anything that I could think of. Mm -hmm. And um, then finally I was able to speak out loud and I began to pray out loud. And I just asked the Lord to protect me and give me victory in the name of Jesus. And finally things were relieved. It, It probably didn't take as long as I thought it was because I was the one under pressure at the time. And so I thought, that it took a while, but it probably wasn't very long at all. I asked the Lord to help me to go back to sleep, and I did. I went to back to sleep immediately, but mm-hmm. the next morning I still remembered it all very vividly, and it stayed in my mind throughout the day, but I just carried on my normal normal things. But there's sometimes when, you know, you think, okay, I prayed about this, and the Lord gave me victory, and that's the end of it. But sometimes you need your brothers and sisters in Christ to also help. And in this case, I did go to my fellow missionaries and we decided that we would, you know, pick a time when we could 
go go down to the house and and pray and I don't think it was that same night because I remember thinking that I felt comfortable in the house again but when I would go out into the bathroom to go to the toilet I felt like there were demons down in my toilet and they were going to come right out at me that sounds pretty terrifying (laughs) so I don't you know it sounds silly when you don't have the experience but when it's you there Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound that silly and so at any rate when the missionaries came down we we did go from room to room and pray and out in the courtyard and we said it was a one-room building by that time it was it was two rooms I think but Mm -hmm. But yeah, just to be clear, you were in a was it a were, were they mud bricks or did you have cement? Yeah, they were mud, mud brick, bricks. But and we covered it with cement. Yeah, you covered with a layer of cement for the floor yes. with a corrugate roof. Yes, tin tin roof, uh-huh. and then you had a little backyard area with a pit latrine. Yes, and your uh, water was from the well in yes. uh, buckets and mm-hmm. you know tubs, and you took a uh, bucket bath. That yes. was your bath. So mm-hmm. that's been. That's been where you have lived for the last twenty five years on the fields. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in the Gambian compound. So so you understood spiritual warfare in a way that um sometimes is even challenging to relate to people who haven't experienced that mm-hmm. in other places. So back to recent years, you had sensed some disappointment and discouragement, but then come to grips with the enormity of spiritual warfare that you personally and pretty much everyone else who was part of the missionary team and and believers Gambian believers have experienced there what's god shown you in the, with regard to spiritual warfare i guess one of the things that he's shown me is first of all to run to him don't mess around when satan is getting you down whether it's a an overt thing like a demon-possessed person that comes to your door, or or if it's a covert thing like just Satan trying to get you depressed all the time or those kind of things and putting evil things in your mind about even your fellow missionaries and things like that, or even if they're not evil. I remember sometimes going, being up at the missionary compound and just talking with people, having a good time with them, saying, okay, I'm going home. And as soon as I would leave the property, I would start thinking, I I can never trust those people. I don't know why they're, I even talked to them. And mm-hmm. those were just things from Satan. Trying to divide. And- trying to divide and trying to get me to not have the part in their lives that I should or allow them to speak to my life. And I just got to the place where I said, you know what, this is these are lies from Satan. And I'm just going to think about good things. I'm going to think about what is true. And I, when a thought like that came into my mind, I would say, okay, Deb, is this really true? No, it's not true. So mm-hmm. let's not think about that. Is it righteous? Is it good? No. No, it's not. So let's not think about it. And so I got in the habit of when those thoughts would come up, it would be very short instead of something that lasted a long time. That takes knowing the word of God for one thing, to be able to run to the Lord and turn to his word and say, this is this is what the word of God says, but this is what I keep thinking. Okay, which one are you going to believe? So 
that decision that I made way back when I was in sixth grade to read my Bible every day and get to know the Word of God was helping me in the Gambia when I was 35-year-old missionary. You have to have the Word of God to to be able to make the correct decisions in your relationships and in other areas of your life. If, if you don't, you're lost. Wow. You had a lot of experiences there, Deb, and you've continued. I wish we could hear about all of them. But God, uh, in this last term, uh, last four or so years, has brought you an interesting event, which has led to your being back in the States right now. So uh, would you mind sharing with us? What's happened with regard to that? About a year and a half ago, actually four years ago, I was diagnosed with kidney cancer. So you were in the Gambia when that happened? Yes. And Mm -hmm. what happened was I was just um, seeing some blood in my urine. And Mm -hmm. so I was advised to go to the doctor if with taking the antibiotics, it didn't go away in a couple days or at least get better. And there was no improvement. And so I went to a doctor, and they did some ultrasounds followed up by a CAT scan, and they said, even before we did the CAT scan, that, yeah, you have a mass in your left kidney, and it needs to come out. We're going to stop right there and save the rest of the story for the next episode, where you'll be able to hear the rest of Deb's experience with cancer and where she is now. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on Submit a Story. God is doing things all over in all of His people, and we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at GodSeeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God.